Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This is Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or, from, or, or of goats from your pens, for every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me on the day of trouble. And I will deliver you and you will honour me. But to the wicked person, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongues to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But now I arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honour me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. Friends, do you know any of those good common misconceptions? You know, the sort of thing where uh, most people think this thing is true, but actually it's not. Um, I'm sure you know loads. Uh, I had, had a fun time this week sort of Googling a few, coming up with a, a few different ones. Here are some of my favourites. You may well know these already, but um, did you know the Great Wall of China can't actually be seen from space? You know, that one thing that everyone thinks can be, it can't. Um, Vikings did not have horns on their helmets. You know, that classic picture of Vikings, not true. And uh, a Frankenstein, it isn't the name of the monster, but the monster's creator. 
I'm sure many of you knew that one. Um, I also came across some which uh, I didn't even know that some people believed, but uh, with them being dispelled on the internet. Uh, Mozart composed Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Uh, I never heard that, but it's not true. Uh, anyway, so don't worry about that. Um, look, you know, if you've got some good ones, let me know afterwards. They're mostly they're pretty trivial, aren't they? Common misconceptions. Sometimes you'll get a common misconception that's actually very serious as well, though, won't you? Think of that, um, uh, that belief that the MMR jab caused autism. You know, that was, a co that was common for a while, wasn't it? But it, it wasn't true, and it caused real harm by leaving people exposed to those, uh, those diseases. Well, I think in this psalm, we're going to see some common misconceptions about God that are very serious, really serious misconceptions, because getting God wrong is basically the worst thing we can do. There are three misconceptions about God addressed here. We're going to look at each one in turn. We'll see how they relate to each other, uh, because it might be that for some of us, we just hold sort of one or two or maybe all three of these, but however they fall, for us, we need to take it seriously. And we shouldn't just be thinking, well, this is for the non-Christians. Of course, they've got misconceptions about God. And that may be the case. That might be you. It might be you listening online. You might see, oh, wow, I'd completely misunderstood God. But actually, this is spoken to the people of God primarily. Us, who think that we know God already. Perhaps this could come as a challenge. So three misconceptions about God here. The first one is about our view of God. How do we picture him? He's not just a loving father, you know, but he's also a very serious judge. So he doesn't just approve of us. He might disagree with us. The second one is about our acts of religious worship and service. Going through the motions, it does nothing for him. He cares about our hearts and the way that we approach him. And the third is about our daily lives. The fact that he does really care about how we live Monday to Saturday. So let's begin with the first one in verses one to six. God doesn't just approve of us. God doesn't just approve of us. The common misconception here is that God always just supports us. He endorses us. We have the backing of God in all things that we do. Now look, you might you know, you can see why you might think this. People might think this. Because one of the main ways that God is described in the Bible is as our father. And fathers, they love their children. They're, they're quick to praise and commend them. I've got two little boys. And, you know, I want to be an encouraging dad. So I'm always like, oh, yeah, wow, so clever, well done. You know, even the most trivial things. And one of the foremost characteristics of God is his love. His steadfast love, his vast love. We know that God loves us. And so the idea of God rebuking us, telling us off, or, or just disagreeing with us, it's quite alien. Could God ever have a negative view of how we spend our money, our career choices, our politics, our outlook on issues of sexuality, yeah, generally not, it seems. You know, you know, if it feels right to me, well, I'm sure God supports it. He endorses it. He approves of me. Well, I think fathers will know that it's not so simple. And love is not so basic. And so the first six verses here, they show us another side 
to our God. Verse one, the mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. So God is described with three of his most important names, the mighty one, God, the Lord. So this is serious business and he's summoning the earth. Verse two, he, he appears in beauty shining forth. And it's hard to imagine what that might be. What's the beauty of God like? Maybe beauty, it makes us think of sunsets or flowers or a perfect profile. But the beauty of God, verse three, involves a fire devouring before him and a tempest raging around him. He's not an elderly granddad sat in a rocking chair just waiting to hear your stories. You know, remarkably, this is more like a villain in a Marvel film. Can you picture it? Our mighty God standing vast and strong with flames before him and thunder clouds behind him and flashes of lightning. Do we ever think of our God like this? Because it's part of the picture that we should have. And what's he doing? Verse four, he summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. We think of God judging the nations, the world, the, the non-Christians, the sort of wicked people. But here the world is gathered in order to witness God judge his people. They're his special people, verse five, consecrated, set apart to be holy like him. And yet they're the first to be judged. We are the first to be judged. So thinking God looks just kindly upon us is a misconception. As verse six says, he's a God of justice. And he cares about the holiness of his people. So he will not shrink back from rebuking us, from, from telling us where we've gone astray. Now it's worth noticing, isn't it, that he does it in the open. You know, he gathers witnesses. He's calling the whole world to be the witnesses to what he's doing. He's not going to, uh, he's not going to try and cover anything up. He's not going to try and protect the reputation of his people. He's going to do the right thing and be seen to do the right thing. And so it's not going to be comfortable. But it is good. You know, like a dad having a serious talk with his son. Or like a coach giving it to his team full throttle at halftime. Or like an investigator holding nothing back in his verdict. It's not comfortable, but it is good. So do we see our God this way? It's an important part of the picture that we should have of him. Of course he's a loving father, but only to think of him like that is to, is to sell him short because it affects how he'll treat the church. Haven't we just seen in those closing chapters of Hebrews, the book we've just been studying before this, uh, how he may well discipline his people. It doesn't mean he's not still loving us, but he won't just approve of all we do. And individually as well, he won't just approve of everything. Sometimes he'll disagree with us. I saw a tweet the other day asking, when did you ever change your opinion on something because of what the Bible says? If we can't think of any examples where we've been changed by the Bible, 
then we've probably fallen into presuming that God just agrees with us. It's a misconception which needs correcting. Next. God, he doesn't want heartless ritual. This is verses 17 to 15. It flows on. God doesn't want heartless ritual. The misconception here is that these acts of religious ritual, they have value even when our hearts are not in them. You know, the thought is that these are in some way providing something for God. Uh, he needs these things from us. And so whether our hearts are in it, it doesn't really matter. And for the Israelites back at the time, this was... Um, this was the sacrifices and the offerings that they had to make. You know, they offered animals and, and first fruits to God. And, and they'd been instructed to do so. But they'd come to think that God needed these things. That he was sort of fed by these things. Uh, this is what other religions around them at the time thought. Uh, for example, there was a story in one of the old Babylonian religions. A, um, uh, one of the religions it had a very similar story to the flood story. But one of the key differences is that during the flood, the gods were getting hungry because there were no sacrifices being offered. And when, and when they, the flood was over and the sacrifices were offered, the gods were sort of feasting on this sacrifice because they'd finally had their needs met. And the Israelites, they'd started to think like that about their sacrifices. You know, for us, we don't, we don't think that, do we? But we might take the ritual of church attendance, or the sacrifice of serving on a team, or the offering of giving financial gifts. And we might go through the motions of doing them, and, and our heart's not really in it, but we're thinking, well, God wants me to do this, so, so I'll keep doing it, and, and maybe I'll get favor from God from this. But God, he shows that this cannot be the case. Both the Israelite version and our own, God, he doesn't want heartless ritual. Verse 9, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. All the animals are his. If he were hungry, he could have whatever he wants. He doesn't need us. And really, verse 13, he's not eating these things. How could he? He's the mighty God of verses 1 to 6. He's not being fed by his creation. I think that diminished view of God has led to a misunderstanding of the role of sacrifice. Well, so what are sacrifices actually all about then? Verse 14, sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. And call on me in the day of trouble. You see, the offerings, they are thank offerings. You know, they're not giving to God, but saying thank you to all that he's given us. And they can be a fulfillment of vows as well. Maybe not so common now, but people might have uh, you know, been praying for something, saying, if this is answered, then this is what I'll give you. And then when God answers that prayer, well, then give the sacrifice. Fulfill your vow as a way of showing and honoring God that he's done what you asked. Or there could be a time for calling on the Lord in trouble, you know, in need, in battle with sin, or when suffering. Or you might incorporate an offering into your desperate prayer, not trying to win him over, 
but just as a visible way of saying, I'm completely dependent on you. So in all those ways, it's, it's about the heart. It's a heart that genuinely honors God, that sees that he's doing everything for us, that sees that it's one way from God to us, and we give him thanks and praise. I think it's interesting that in, uh, in, in some situations, and for some people, there's a backlash, isn't there? There's a sort of a, an appropriate backlash against heartless religion. You know, um, traditional churches with standard services, too many people could just go along with it without engaging their hearts with it. And so people say, well, let's just let's get rid of it all and let's just concentrate on me and God and, and my relationship with him. And so we don't need church, we don't need tradition, it's just me and God. But that's not what God says here. He says, keep those things Just see what they're actually for. See what they look like when the heart with God is right. These things can be wonderful things. Our church attendance, it can be the number one way in which we receive from God. You know, serving in a ministry area, it's the way that we can say thank you to God. And giving money, it's a, a form of dependence on God. It can all be done with joy. And understanding that it's completely one way from God to us. And look, we know even more than they did at the time, don't we? We, we know about Jesus who showed it even more clearly because he put an end to the sacrifices. He said, you don't even need to do them anymore. And why not? Because of what we saw in Hebrews, that he has done the final sacrifice. Even that is done by God for us. We just receive. We say thank you. So the question for us is, could we have got the dynamic of our relationship with God wrong? Could we have thought that our our ritual, our religion, it's offering something to him? It's not that. He wants our hearts. He wants them full of thanksgiving and dependence. Then thirdly, God, he doesn't ignore how we live, verses 16 to 23. God doesn't ignore how we live. Now, this might be the same group of people from 7 to 15, or it might be a different group of people. There's potentially a sort of a, a change of uh, uh, audience there. But, um, but these people are thinking that how they live doesn't matter. And their reasoning might be that because they've done the ritual, that they can now get away with anything. And the equivalent is those for whom Monday to Saturday is so different from the Sunday. At church, there's this claim to be the holy people of God, but the rest of life is anything but holy. As long as I'm there on Sunday, God doesn't mind what else happens. And God says, no way. No way. The God of verses 1 to 6 is not going to be fobbed off easily like that, is he? So verse 16, the tone ramps up. God is angry now. Previously, they could have been sort of sincere but misguided. Now that's no longer an option. These people are defiant and they get the full force of God's wrath. To the wicked person, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? How dare you even claim to be the people of God? 
the cheek. Look at how you're living. Verse 17, they actually despise the word of God. Verse 18, they enjoy the company of evildoers. Verse 19, their speech is all harmful. Verse 20, their family relations are in ruins. For a time, verse 21, God kept silent. He didn't do anything about it. And their confidence increased. Their misconception about God deepened. We can do whatever we like if we just keep up the ritual. You see, having a time of no punishment doesn't mean you're getting away with it, though. Think of all those gangster films, you know, the uh, uh, sort of classic gangster films, Casino, Goodfellas, American Gangster. They're, the, you know, they, they, they're getting away with it. They, they've got this crime network and it's growing and they're getting stronger and richer and they think this is unbelievable. But they don't realize that the police are watching and taking their time and choosing their moment and their downfall inevitably comes. Well, God might not immediately act, but his silence doesn't mean he's ignoring how we live. A time will come when he will speak and it will be ruin. End of verse 21, he arraigns them. That means he summons them to court. And he will set his accusation before them. Verse 22, consider this. You who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Wow. And this is said to the people of God. Now is the time to take stock. Are we viewing God right if we don't think he'll ever disagree with us, then we'll do whatever we like. And do we think our religion is satisfying God, pacifying him? We can do it heartlessly and then again do whatever we like. And ultimately, how are we living before him? How does Monday to Saturday compare with Sunday? Perhaps we should think about our attitude to his instruction to the Bible. We often take it. Or leave it, a, a passing interest, but it's not really in charge. And what sort of company do we keep? That was mentioned there, wasn't it, in uh, verse 18. What sort of company do we keep? We need to be careful with this, don't we? What sort of company did Jesus keep? Well, he ate with sinners and tax collectors, didn't he? It's not wrong to socialize with godless people, but it's the approval and the involvement and the enjoyment which condemns us. Of course, you can go on the work social or the sports team night out, but you also join in the drunkenness. And what's our speech like? That's the climax of this list in, in 19 and 20. It's all about words. And this can be so damning for us, for Christians, isn't it? Many of us are quite good at, uh, at that external behavioral issues. It's a long time since I got drunk with a sports team, but not very long since I spoke angrily with my words and caused harm by what I said. So how's your speech? How's your speech with your family, verse 20? Is there anger there? 
Is there harsh speech with each other? Is there slander towards others? Within issues of speech, we should also say, is there perhaps a refusal to speak when we should? You see, our words, they so easily fail us. And the point is that we can't ever think that God ignores it. You know, we might say it's only words, it's not actual bad actions. No, God cares about our words too. God cares about how we live. But for today, I want us to close with verse 23 and to see that grace is available to us all. Verse 23 matches with verses 14 and 15. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. Perhaps, yes, the misguided, well, yes, of course, they can, they can be offered this uh, forgiveness if they do their thank offerings properly, but then this is said to the wicked people too. They can come in humility and need. They can come to God and they're told, well, if you're blameless, and that doesn't mean absolutely perfect, it means with integrity, no double life, then God will show them grace as well. I mean, can you believe it? You know, as we're going through this psalm, you might be nodding along saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and these hypocrites, yes, well, they're going to get it in the end. But then suddenly they're offered a way out. It's outrageous. But friends, this is the magnitude of Christianity. This is the magnitude of what we're caught up in. Jesus achieved this by his death on the cross. That final sacrifice, forgiveness for all sinners. Anyone who comes to him in need. And it's because he does it all. Because he does it all, he can do it for all of us. So today, if we're feeling convicted from any of these things, whether of a false view of God, or a false view of our ritual, or a, a, a life lived uh, not matching up to our profession. Friends, if we're feeling convicted of any of these things, then please come to God through Jesus in humility and dependence and thankfulness, and you can find salvation. It's for us all. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that your grace extends to all these things, to the sins of your people, who fall short of your standards for us. Please forgive us. Please correct our misconceptions. And please help us to live well before you. In Jesus' name, amen.